0: Here. All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Hiawatha Church. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Great to see you all again. Uh, or if you're visiting for the first time, welcome uh, to our service, like uh, just said before. Um, we're in a series right now in the Gospel of John. We're about uh, right in the middle, about halfway through. We have um, kind of through Easter left here. So under a year, but still some time to go. Uh, just to remind you of where we are chronologically in the book. Uh, John, like all four of the gospel accounts in the New Testament, tell us the story of primarily Jesus' uh, earthly ministry, his like last three years of life. Uh, John, the first half of John, covers most of those three years, but the second half covers just a few days. And so we are, uh, this is just um, during Holy Week, we're just a, a number of hours really now before Jesus' arrest. It's Thursday night of Holy Week. Jesus will be arrested later this night. Uh, today we're going to look at John's uh, effective um, Last Supper passage, so this is the, the, again, night before his uh, arrest and eventual crucifixion. Uh, John includes a, a foot-washing passage, though, that's unique to the gospel accounts. This is not something that Matthew, Mark, or Luke uh, chose to include, but it complements beautifully with what happens there uh, when they're having this Passover meal and kind of preparing for the festivities for the week. Uh, Jesus, though, knowing, and we'll see this today, knowing that his time was about to come, knowing that he was about to uh, be crucified as the ultimate Passover lamb, uh, does some things here at the Last Supper, and we're not just going to, we're going to see it exhaustively this week. We have a lot more to look at, um, not just in these next few weeks, looking at the foot washing section, but throughout the, the remainder of the series, he has a lot more to say, but uh, some things that he says today that really set the stage for what's about to happen. So, um, Let's just read it in full to begin. John 13, um, looking at this idea of Jesus the foot washer today, uh, but John 13, 1 to 17. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. All right, so a quick observation on verse 1. I don't know if you guys have read this story before. Um, I've always loved how this passage starts with um, John's effective nod to, as, an, as the narrator, the author here, uh, as, uh, to what was about to happen from Jesus' standpoint. Uh, As the reader, we get this kind of omnipresent perspective. The technical term is third-person omniscient perspective here, where we can just get inside Jesus' mind a bit. We know what he's thinking, and we don't always get that with every story, uh, with every angle that we get in the gospel accounts of the New Testament, but here uh, we get it, and it's just beautiful. Uh, It's kind of sad in a way. It's um, almost romantic at the same time. It has the feel of an epic conclusion, to the greatest story ever told even though we have months worth of uh you know reading and preaching to go to go through to finish out the series together uh it's beginning the conclusion the, the conclusion of uh the greatest story ever is uh kind of commencing it's beginning right here uh, jesus knowing his time had come to die having loved his own he loved them to the end it's just this kind of beautiful thing um and it's really nothing short of a love poem, kind of at the end of the day. We'll talk about that today and in, into next week and the following. I think I alluded to it, but we're going to spend about three weeks looking at this section. The gist is today, next week we'll talk about Judas a little bit, the betrayer. And then there's uh, more teaching, actually, Jesus has uh, in light of all of this in the third week. So just to kind of get your bearings. But, um, but it's really nothing short of a love poem. It's, and, and the manner by which he shows his love is really the meat of this passage. Uh, and adds an element of, of surprise to it as well. Uh, in fact, if you read this with fresh eyes, not knowing the outcome, uh, you, you, know, you might read it like this. Uh, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper and started washing dirty feet. It's like, it's like this textbook anticlimactic move for Jesus, which is uh, right in his wheelhouse, he does this a lot uh, in his ministry. Uh, think of, we already talked about it in this series, uh, although you don't see it as clearly in John, uh, when Jesus uh, rode in on a donkey into Jerusalem at the triumphal entry. Other, other of the accounts of the New Testament say that he entered the city, entered the temple, uh, looked around the temple for a bit, checked his watch, and then left and went out to Bethany. It's just a very anticlimactic thing. That teaches us theology. And so, um, but here you see it with a surprise. It, it feels anticlimactic, but that's part of the beauty. It's very uh, sacrificial, and uh, we say here a lot that grace surprises us. Uh, one of the, the um, hallmarks of what grace is biblically and in our experience is that we're caught off guard by things that shouldn't be, that shouldn't happen. Uh, so when any of us are saved, when any of us are shown a kindness of God, it's a grace that surprises because it doesn't come in response to anything we've done. If, if it were, it wouldn't be surprising. It would be planned, it would be ordered, it would be expected. But grace always surprises because it comes uh, unconditionally and to someone who doesn't deserve it. And all of that sets the stage for the theology of, of this section of Scripture, which we'll turn to next. I have three words today and really three things that I think Jesus is doing with the foot washing. Um, and with his teaching here that I think encapsulate what's going on the best, and so we'll kind of organize the sermon today that way. Uh, so the first is confronting. Uh, Jesus is confronting. The, I think the act of foot washing um, is a confronting thing here, and um, you may have noticed it when we read, but there's a lot more contention going on here with the foot washing story than we sometimes picture when remembering it. Uh, If you were to walk into the room, you might think, Jesus, I don't know if this is like going exactly according to plan. Um, There is uh, a guy sitting over here who's possessed by the devil. Uh, You're locking horns with Peter who is vocally and visibly resistant to what you're doing. And there's otherwise widespread misunderstanding and disillusionment in the room. So I think if we were there, there'd be an element of chaos to it, um, not this kind of candlelit still holy moment. Uh, it's a very holy moment, but not just that, that we kind of tend to think about sometimes we think about this story. Um, but all of that is part of the point. Uh, if there wasn't any confrontation here, there would actually be less theology in this story. If there's no confrontation, there'd actually be less theology for us. Uh, but you see it the most in Peter when he says, Lord, do you wash my feet? You shall never wash my feet. And, and that's the misunderstanding that uh, even Jesus says this explicitly. He says, you don't understand this now. So, of course, Jesus knows this, but it's interesting that he says this for the reader like us, too. He says, "Um, you don't understand this now. Like, later you will, after I die on the cross for your sins and rise again. That's implied. Um, But right now, you don't understand this, but um, it'll be pieced together for you in a future date. But it's clear here that he's blind to something going on, and, and it has to do with not simply Jesus being a servant king uh, though he is, and we'll come back to that, but also with the very nature of what it means to be saved. So we've been talking about this um, a lot in recent weeks because John's been talking about this. Uh, John has been basically playing this song on repeat, this idea that Jesus came for spiritual matters. He came to fight a spiritual war and to save us from a spiritual enemy, namely sin. Um, And so foot washing then, it's interesting if you think about it, like um, it helps to kind of put yourself there um, or to think about like anybody washing your feet, like any maybe leader type in your life. If this were to actually happen to you physically, maybe that helps as well. I don't know. Uh, But put yourself in the room at least and you can maybe feel this. But foot washing at the core is a the problem is in here type action rather than the problem is out there, right? Right? Like, Jesus is washing my feet? Aren't other people dirtier than I? Or aren't there other issues in the world going on that are, quote-unquote, dirtier, that are more worth Jesus' attention than my stinky feet? You see, when we don't think we're the problem, this is quite offensive. This is kind of why Peter is squirming a bit in, in, his, uh, in his chair, and probably the other disciples as well. Um, But even if we did think we were the problem, that at least the main problem with the world is our sin, it's internal, it's spiritual, um, even if we did kind of connect those dots, the idea that Jesus, the leader, the Son of God, uh, plays the role of the servant, that he washes our feet versus us washing his, whether literal or figurative, is flipped. Our our self-inflating hearts just tend to think that you know, life, maybe Christian life, is about me showing my worth and my devotion and about loving God with all my heart. And when God sees me doing that, we're good then, right? Wrong. If, if we think that way, according to Jesus here himself in John 13, we have no share in salvation. Uh, his teaching is quite clear. The only way to be saved is to let Jesus wash the dirt of sin off of our souls. It's very one way. Um, in fact, you also see, uh, see that here in this, um, I think there's a religious con- confrontation happening here too, uh, in that Jesus is, really what he's doing is replacing hundreds and hundreds of years of Jewish history, hundreds and hundreds of years of scriptural tradition, Old Testament tradition, that commanded people to wash themselves when they were unclean. Uh, it's constant. If you look at what Moses said, what God said through his uh, through the priests in the Old Testament, it was this constant call to wash your clothes, wash your hands, wash your body. When you were unclean physically or ceremonially or religiously, uh, you, you had to clean up, hop in the shower, uh, maybe sit outside the camp for a few days to let the sun kind of bake off that uncleanness off your body. Then you were able to approach. But it was most notably our actions and our washing that, that sort of, uh, made ourselves clean, but Jesus is not doing that here. he 's flipping. he's going He's confronting that idea by being the washer himself, which again, this fits beautifully with this greater motif in John, uh, if you remember if you if you've been here for this series in uh, John one seventeen about how Moses brought the law, but Jesus is bringing grace. Um, the old washing rites are being passed up by a new kind of washing, and again, Maybe most notably, the mode of washing is the thing that's changing uh, the most. Uh, meaning someone else is washing our feet versus uh, us washing our feet ourselves. Another's hands are doing the washing, even sometimes when we don't want them to. This is kind of what you start to see in the Gospels, is that Peter's understanding and his response isn't, doesn't seem to be a precondition. Jesus is just going to work washing Uh, God is stronger than our stubborn disbelief. Isn't that good news? He's stronger than our misunderstandings. He's stronger than our uh, misintentions, our our selfish, inflating types of religious ideologies. He's stronger than that and pushes through them uh, to show us grace nonetheless. This is what the Bible calls elsewhere a work of the Spirit and not the flesh. That means not the works of our hands, Are doing this. Uh, Again, massive common motif. You see this in the book of Acts as well, when the gospel's first starting to go to the nations is that the apostles are saying it's not the works of our hands Uh, like it was before, and like other philosophies of the day might say, or religions might espouse. uh, Christianity is different. It's the work of God's hands alone. Uh, The uncooperated, I'll put it that way, the uncooperating hands of God that save us. Uncooperating. Hands of God. And so Jesus then is like here with the foot washing, he's confronting whatever, Jesus, I got this, is coming from Peter. He's confronting Peter's, Jesus, I got this. No, 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 I got this. I'll wash my feet or I'll wash your feet. Um, He's going against the law by washing them himself. uh, And he's resisting any and all attempts Peter makes to assist him uh, in that washing. And if we were to ask why, it would go right back, I think, to verse 1. It's because he loves him. Uh, love by its very nature, uh, unconditional true love, is one way. It insists on being one way, at least from the way of, you know, of the lover. Uh, it's not loving because of something else uh, being reciprocated. It's just the, the lover can't help but love. I was talking to a friend this past week about um, Halloween, and we both like Halloween, and so we were trying to figure out why we like it. It's kind of like, maybe unnecessarily philosophical. I, I don't know. But we were just like talking about it and thinking um, that for us, at least, uh, at least like culturally, how culturally we celebrate Christmas uh, in this, uh, you know, culture, and how culturally we celebrate Halloween. Kind of comparing it in those terms and thinking how Halloween, like, is almost like when you think about those terms, um, closer to Christianity than Christmas. Uh, in the sense that Christmas, like Santa Claus theology Christmas, I mean, uh, is very, like, be good or be damned, right? It's like, be good or you won't get anything. Uh, and Santa's watching you when, you're sleep, well, when you sleep as well, which is the epitome of creepiness. So, th- there's, that's like, you know, Christmas, it, you know, at least on, tho- on those levels, mixed with, like, sometimes, I don't know if you guys get this with Christmas, but sometimes I do with this, this idea of obligatory giving, you know, where it's just like, it's like, it's just kind of veiled in tradition. It's is what we do, so we have to kind of figure out. I know, like, having three kids, um, we find joy in it, for sure, but there's this kind of level of, oh, this is a burden. Like, and, you know, we, we kind of have to give uh, to them as well. And so, um, uh, but I think with Halloween, it's sort of uh, different where you have this idea of, you know, this little kid comes to your door dressed like a zombie or a devil, and you're like, here's some candy. You know, without any, there's no precondition, you know. It's just sort of like um, kind of this idea that we sort of um, kind of wear our devils and wear our, um, you know, um, our our inner enemy before God on on our sleeves and we're sort of given things without any kind of like um, be good, right? You know, and so, um, but I think that, that this all goes back to what's happening here in John 13 is it's very, 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 very one way. Peter doesn't understand this. And Jesus insists that it's one way. That the, the second Peter tries to say, no, 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 I'll give five percent, I'll give ten percent, I'll reciprocate. Jesus says, no, that you'll, you'll, you have no share with me if you insist on that way of religion, that way of thinking about me, that way of thinking about Christianity, that this this new covenant era that I am bringing into history. Um, that there's there's no way to blend it. And so again. Um, Love insists on one way acts of service, and and, and the gospel by its very nature resists any and all attempts at our cooperation. Um, And John 13 exists to exemplify this very truth. I think it is clear of terms as as possible. All right, let's move on to this uh, second section then, which is um, the teachable lesson that Jesus makes out of this in verses uh, 12 and following. Let me read this again just in case um, you missed it. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done, done to you. So Jesus finishes washing their feet. He puts on his outer garment and sits back down at supper and then makes this teachable moment out of what he just did, saying, do to each other what I have just done to you. Wash one another's feet. Not necessarily literally, uh, and we know this for a number of reasons, you know, common sense being one of them, uh, I think, but also the fact that we only see foot washing come up one other place in the New Testament after this, and it's more descriptive than prescriptive, and so if you're thinking, like, gosh, that's awkward, I really don't want to wash another (laughs) another Christian's feet, um, then I guess I have good news for you. (laughs) You don't have to, that's not really the point. Uh, But the the broader idea is that um, Jesus is saying love each other by a way of serving one another. Like we don't wash feet in this culture, um, but we do love each other. There's love, right? And there's ways to serve. There's ways to love. There's ways to put each other first. And I think the principle here is do that uh, to other Christians. That's uh, that's the teachable moment element of, of this passage. All right, so... There are three um, other, I think, lessons and points of, points of theology that flow from this. And one of which is more of a nuance and, and the other two being more of like, I would say, a why to the what of uh, washing the feet of other Christians. And so we'll work through those next. Um, so the first is, uh, just to notice here that, maybe it was clear, but that Jesus teaches his disciples to love one another but he doesn't ask them to wash his feet in return, right? That's no small thing. He says, love one another, Christians, but he's not asking for anything back. Um, Or maybe this is more shocking, but he's not asking them to love God in return because as if we're talking about the essence of what's being symbolized here, that's really what we're talking about. Uh, We already saw this above with Jesus and Peter's interaction, um, but Jesus in no way wants us to, to, to wash his feet. I mean, if, if you're here today, he would say, the Church, I love you guys so much. With, with an unrelenting, uh, ungiving up love, and, and it, it will always be there for you, and I want you to see that. Um, I'm not asking for anything back, but I do want you to love each other so you can live out of my love and show off my love to each other uh, every day in many and various ways. Like that, like that would be what he would say, and is saying, I think, uh, through, through this story. Uh, It reminded me, though, of Luther's famous words um, when he says uh, that God does not need our good works, your good works, but your neighbor does. This is exactly what Jesus is saying here, right? Jesus is saying, I don't need you to wash my feet, but but your neighbors need you to, like your friends need you to, your brothers and sisters in Christ need you to. Um, This is very important to see. It might seem like a small thing, but... um, the gospel itself and our definition of our understanding of it hangs on this. Like, is God asking something of you after you're saved? Like, I mean, like on a high level, like on a, you need to respond to me now. I'm giving you an example of what to do to me. Or is he saying, this is something you do for it. It's sort of like a pyramid, right? It's like, top, there's top down, Jesus loves us, serves us, and then it goes out from there. When we receive it, we spread it out towards each other horizontally. Um... And so, in terms of then the why, why are we doing this, um, the first two things. One is, uh, we we are to wash one another's feet so that the gospel might not just be heard but seen. All right, so, um, though Christians loving one another um, isn't called a sacrament like communion is in the Bible or baptism, it serves a similar purpose. Christians loving one another, I would say, is not a capital S sacrament, but it's sacramental. And that, that meaning that, that the act of doing that points us to the gospel, it embodies the gospel. It shows off how God has served us by giving his, his son up to die on a cross for our sins. It, it shows off the good news that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, right? and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. This is exact different gospel, but that's the word-based way of saying what he's demonstrably showing here in John 13. Showing it by washing feet. But in Mark 10, 45, he's saying, I didn't come to be served. God is not, he didn't come into the world to be served by people as if he needed anything. He came to give himself, pour himself out, share himself with, with us. That's Christianity's view of God. Uh, That's why it's important that he's a trinity. That's why it's important he's a relationship. That's why it's important that the gospel is what it is and that it's not blended with our cooperation. Um, All those things and more. Uh, It's a one-way love that we reflect towards each other. Um, And even though we love God in return because we can't help it, it's not something he demands um, or asks for in this new covenant era, which is crazy that that that's the case, but but it is. So, again, it's sacramental in the sense that... um, It shows off the gospel. I I would say then that this teaching is not just a call to do, but a call to see and understand that when service is happening, like any time you guys have seen an act of service from one Christian to another, whether it's objective to you or you're a part of that equation, like you're seeing the gospel play out before you. Giver to receiver. One person saying this person's more important than I am. They are more important than me getting my way, than me having more time, than, than my comfort, than my plans this evening, or wh- whatever it is. Like is. You're, you're seeing that in that moment, that giver is a picture of God, and the recipient's a picture of you and me. That's what Christianity is. God self-giving. God getting uncomfortable so we can have comforts. And he does, ultimately, at the cross, which we'll come to you in a minute. So the second reason, um, the second why here, I would say, is uh, to be a, why we wash feet, is to be a constant reminder that when we're saved from our sins, when we become Christians, we get low, not high. We don't arc up. We arc down. Uh, We we come out of the clouds, um, realizing that we don't have to go up because God has come to us. Uh, So in other words, Christianity is not a self-optimization clinic. Uh, It's a grace that humbles us and, and starts to just make us content that we don't have to strive to ascend anymore or to be better versions of ourselves because Jesus accepts us. He washes us. He takes the dirt from us. Rather than tells us to wash, he washes even without invitation. And that starts to become enough for us. It starts to breed humility and less comparison games with others. And we don't think about ourselves that much anymore because we don't have to we can focus on other people a little bit more than we used to Um, in other words it's not a uh, serve now then later you get to do cooler things uh, type way of thinking which would be to say we're saved and honored by what we do Uh, but instead I think there's this idea that it's it's, uh, Christianity is a serve indefinitely uh, type mentality because to be the least is to be the greatest uh, to live by grace is the calling of every Christian for all time without any asterisks or any qualification. And, and to live by grace is to receive rather than to climb. Um, or even to put it more simply, this, I have a fifth point here, which is basically a, a 4B. Um, but to put others first is to act on our belief that we are saved by grace, not works. To put others first is to act on the belief, the true belief, here and here, head and heart, that you actually believe you bring nothing to the table except your sin, that caused there to be a table in the first place for God to, to, to come across and to do something to bring it to himself. To act on that, so to put other people first is to say, um, Christianity to me is, is not my ascension. It's not becoming better than others. Uh, it's not proving my worth. It's not um, comparison. It's actually, I believe in grace. I, I, I believe that others are better than me, and that's okay because um, I'm loved, and that really is enough. And so that's why I think this is actually said. This is not just Jesus saying here, wash feet because it's a good thing to do. Uh, it's, it's a worthy thing to give your life to, though it is, definitely it is. There's something much bigger going on behind the curtains. It's the idea that if we don't do this, well, what, what, what then is behind the curtains of, like, how are we defining the gospel, you know? And, and the reality is, to put other people first is to say, I don't have to be first. I'm not trying to prove myself anymore. I'm not trying to be good enough so God will look my way. I'm just, I just am. Because God, for me, just is. He just loves. He just gives. And so this is why I think Jesus wants us put on display in his church, you know, Christian to Christian, why he wants on display because to see this play out is to see not just the gospel of God serving people, but it's to see the principle of grace over works play out. We don't always connect those dots, but it is. It relentlessly is. And so humility then shows off grace. It says that, you know, I... I realize that I'm saved by an act of another and, um, and not by my trophy case. And so, so that and more. All these, these are the big couple of whys here. There might be others, probably are, but, but these are at the core. Uh, this is what it's reduced to. God, it's a sacrament, sacramental. Uh, and it's a reminder that when we're saved from our sins, um, constant reminder that God isn't expecting an upward arc for you as if like well now I'm starting this little thing for you it's just a beginning but now I expect you to arc up and that your your life will exponentially just get better and more holy and more perfect and more spotless if you really receive me and really love me and really wanna to respond to what I did for you then that's gonna happen but that is a crushing thing crushing thing um, for all of you it, whether you realize it or not it just is like if you, if you live that way it's gonna breed anxiety and depression, and fear, and comparison games. I'm saying this by experience as well, because I've been there. I uh, still struggle with it. Um, but it's this constant reminder that actually God doesn't want that. He, When we become a Christian, we stay low, and we constantly receive from him rather than treat the gospel as just a doorway to some something else. All right, third and final then is this idea of uh, substituting, which I've uh, kind of been... Referencing a little bit, but not really with this degree of explicitity. So let me just read verse 5 again. This is really what Jesus is doing to show his love. He, it says, Then he poured out into a basin water and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So, uh, foot washing in the first century, a lot of you know this, or could probably guess, um, was not um, extremely fun. Uh, it was reserved for the lowest of servants, and it was a, just a filthy job. Uh, again, you might expect that for a culture that walked around in sandals all day, uh, so feet were full of dust and sweat and animal excrements and other unspeakable things. I'll just maybe say that. I don't know what that means. Uh, but it, it was um, just bad. So, But here's the, here's the thing about dirt. Okay, here's the thing, the thing about dirt. When things are cleaned the dirt doesn't just go away. It's transferred on to something or something else, right? When you clean something, the dirt doesn't just disappear. It's transferred on to something else or someone. Uh, My my wife and I and our kids went to Chicago over MEA, and um, you guys been to Chicago, kind of just doing the touristy thing down there ever? Um, No one? Just kidding. Um, (laughs) the, so in the, like the shed Aquarium area, kind of the southeast side of the city, there, there's this great view of the city from kind of the southeast angle, and the lakes there, and all that, and um, we were there, and there's this kind of big grassy area that kind of just begs you to walk out on, um, and we did, and we just realized right away that it's just inundated with goose poop, like it's just, and we didn't see it right away, but it's like, oh my gosh, what do we do when you start to like turn around? It's too late at that point, though, <laughs> and so we kind of just go back, and um realized then that, oh man, it's everywhere actually. We didn't notice it, but it's like all over the sidewalk too, and, and there's the steps going up to the Field Museum that people had like scraped their shoe on to clean the <laughs> It's just so disgusting. And so like, oh, we didn't, now we're, now we're like, now we can't unsee it, you know, it's everywhere. Um, but like, the, the idea there is that, again, it's not really, it's either on our shoe or it's on the step or it's being wiped on a clean patch of grass or something. Um, It it, it transfers. It doesn't disappear. So whether down into drains, scraped on steps, or in John 13's case, displaced onto towels and water basins, the dirt goes elsewhere, right? And that's what's being symbolized here in uh, John 13, is Jesus is the towel. Jesus is the water. And Jesus is the basin. Those are symbols of him. Uh, whenever it says not, he says, not all of you are clean, he's clearly referring to Judas. But at the same time, it's kind of a nod to himself. He's about to become unclean as well so that we can become clean and be declared clean like Peter. Uh, he becomes the step on which the excrement is scraped. He becomes the bottom of the shower. Uh, Jesus becomes the rag that is wrung out that we might become clean. Or, as it says elsewhere, he became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. He became a common criminal on the cross, that we criminals might be exonerated and become sons and daughters of the king. Become clean. And that's what we are. Uh, And this is how he truly loves us to the end. Um, To go back to verse 1, when it says that he saw all things, knew all things, knew where he came from, knew where he was going, knowing he was about to be arrested and flogged and crucified and spit on and stripped naked and to suffer unimaginable pain, This this is why he did it. He washed feet to show his love. But how did he truly show love? And what is all this really about? This is how he loved us to the end and to the uttermost. Uh, He died for us. Is there a greater form of love than that? Is it possible to show love more than dying for someone? There actually isn't. According to the Bible, and I think by logic and common sense, we would say there isn't too, but at least according to, like, on the Bible's definitional terms, there is no greater form of love than dying for someone else. So more than foot washing, right? More than foot washing. Foot washing is a pointer to a greater reality. And so that's why we can make these connections. Verse 1 isn't actually saying ultimately or at least finally saying he's showing love by foot washing. It's saying he's showing love by what the foot washing is going to point to. Because on the cross uh, that's where the foot washing of the ages takes place. And and like Peter, I'll I'll end with this um, and we'll pick up next week because there's more here with Judas and then some other things too with Peter's kind of continued obstinence and misunderstanding that I think we're all invited to see ourselves in. Um, like Peter, if you remember, so remember the story where uh, Peter kind of starts to get it but then doesn't get it. Where he says, "You know, you'll never wash my feet." And Jesus says, um, "If I don't wash you, you have no share with me." And then Peter says, "Oh well, then then my head and hands and body." And Jesus is like, "Also wrong," you know. But basically, at that point, like because it, it, he he still gets it he. He still goes too far in, in saying, that I, or, or saying that I'm fully unclean. Jesus is saying by that, that actually I've, de- I've declared you clean, like you're mine. You're, you're my son. You're my disciple. You know, to whatever degree that the, the disciples are becoming a picture of what a Christian would later actually be post-cross, um, that's who he is, right? He's clean. And yet, his feet are dirty, Right? That's really important to see. There's sort of like this squishy middle here of, wait, am I clean or am I not? How clean am I? You know, And what does it mean to be washed and sort of live? There's this middle area here that I think Peter sort of exemplifies the, the, um, the, the Christian life. Uh, and, and so Peter, who was clean and who still had filthy feet, needed his feet washed by Jesus. In the same way, so do we need a daily dose of the gospel, like an ivy drip of grace into our veins. Every day, dripping every second, every hour, every day, the rest of our lives. And so uh, I, th- I think what this means, and this is where, that's, I mean, that's already good news, but here's where the good news really comes in if, uh, if you're a Christian, or if you're not a Christian yet. Still good news. This right here, him, There, at that moment, where he's truly washing our feet by becoming the towel that the dirt's displaced onto. That's not only how we become a Christian, it's how we stay a Christian. Jesus died to save you, but also to keep you saved. This is something that's not always, uh, you know, uh, knowingly or readily embraced by Christians. But we're invited to do that here. It's not on you to stay in covenant with God. You know, this is not just the front door where, well, yeah, now I believe this, but now it's up to me to be sanctified and to live a holy life and to prove my worth and to show my devotion and all of that and to sort of stay in covenant with God. That's not not what the Bible says anywhere, but we don't see it here either in John 13. We see this idea of you are declared clean, we are saved by grace, not by what we do and yet we're still cleaned every day by the same mode, by Jesus, by his hands, not ours. He died not just to save you, but to keep you. Uh, that word keep is from the end of Jude, if you remember that, the letter uh, from Jude. We're kept. Not just, this isn't something like just transaction or idea that we sort of ascribe to, and then we're a Christian, and then we go on to other things. This is Everything. This is why the old laws are being passed up, that Jesus isn't saying, I'm doing this, but now I want you to go back and still use water basins yourself to wash your hands. He's not blending himself with the law, he's replacing it. He is the new washing right. Period. Clean people still sin. I mean, I barely need to say that, right? But I'm gonna say it. Clean people still sin, Christians still sin, washed people still sin. Clean people are still dirty. This is how the Bible talks. And in this life, our need for Jesus is not something we move on from at conversion, but a regular rhythm of grace that we we do two things. We bask in, we receive the IV drip right into the vein every day. And as Jesus says here, we also show off to other Christians through mutual acts of humbling service, putting one another first, and sacramentally demonstrating the greatest story of all time to each other. That's what it means to be a Christian. Like, the, the, those two things. Um, if you're going to boil it down, it's, as John says in one of his letters, 1 John 3.23, what's the new commandment? To believe and to love. Believe and love. It's coming right from this theology right here in John 13 and later in verse 34, which we'll get to in two weeks. Um, but it's the same, same guy. To believe and He does everything. And then down here on the ground, horizontally to show it off to each other. Um, And then when it happens to see and understand something about the gospel, like we do in communion, to see and understand what's happening on this table, to see and understand what's there and what's not there, to see and understand that this is the New Testament, not the Old, to see and understand something about grace, like all that can happen too when we love one another. Even people that are hard to love, you know? Right, people hard to love, but guess what? You're hard to love for someone else. You know? You just are. Sorry, I know I am too. But if that's part of the church. And because we're hard to love for God, but he is able to love us. Isn't that good news too? We're hard to love, but God is able. And so in the struggle of like Christian community, um, this is sort of that tension, that beautiful dance, you know, um, between what the gospel actually is and how we, um, how we sing about it, how we eat it, how we show it off to each other. And so that's the, that's the invitation here from our teacher and Lord, from our Savior, from the Son of God himself, is to receive that one-way love and then to demonstrate to, uh, to each other. Let me pray. Father, thank you for uh, this passage. Thank you for your love and grace uh, in Christ and for... The um, the message, the teaching, the not just the, the what of washing, but the how, the how being substitution, the how being you are also the towel and the water and the basin. You are the dirt receiver, the one that was displaced onto. The great substitute, the great, it's, there's a reason why this is happening on Passover as well, because you are the great Passover lamb, um, the one who received the wrath of God, who took the brunt, so that those who paint the, blood over the doorways of their lives like the ancient Israelites did physically. If we do that spiritually, um, judgment and wrath passes away from us. It passes over us. You, and, um, and that's how we escape. That's how we get out. That's how we have life and true meaning and, uh, and, and acceptance. And it all happens on your watch. It's entirely by you. It's crazy um, how genius your plan is, how amazing and beautiful you are. And um, I pray you'd open our eyes and ears to see that. Even just now, as we sing this last song and, um, and leave this place, I pray that, that we would see that you have washed us on the cross, that we are declared clean by an act of love, not by something that we do. And that you'd give us ample opportunity this week to love one another in this community um, and to, um, to sacramentally show your love to each other when we do it. In Christ we pray. Amen.